0: Welcome to the Banega Swast India podcast. Our focus this season is one health, one planet, one future. Our aim is health for all and leaving no one behind because only a Swast Bharat can become a Sampan Bharat. I'm Ambeka Singh Kama and today we will be talking to Sunita Narayan. She's the Director General, Centre for Science and Environment. She's someone who's worked on the relationship between environment and development. She's tried to create public consciousness about the need of sustainable development. Over 40 years of experience of working on this. Thank you so much, uh, ma'am, for joining us today. The first thing what I would like to ask you, uh, you know, COP26, everybody has met them, and there have been big commitments as well. We know that climate change is for real, and it's urgent. It is a crisis, and action needs to be taken. Can you just tell us a little bit about it? Where are we on this? How serious is it?
1: So, you know, when science started talking about climate change, it seems so far away. And science used to talk about the fact that the science is showing that there are emissions that come out of the use of fossil fuel and some other, um, but largely fossil fuels, which is oil, gas, coal, and that these emissions are about carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide is a very long living gas, which means that once it is emitted, it is in the atmosphere for about 200 years. Now, what scientists were saying is all these gases are accumulating in the atmosphere. And because they are accumulating, think of it, Ambika, like a blanket that you have on Earth put a blanket. Now, what heat comes in needs to be radiated back. And this blanket is actually stopping the heat from going back. So it's kind of like a blank. The pollution is like a blanket around the planet. Now this, scientists had said, will lead to changes in our weather pattern. And actually, and this is why the crisis is so big, Mm -hmm. that it is no longer just scientists who are saying this. We are seeing it. When I am talking to you today, The Chennai airport has been shut down. We have seen such horrific rain in Chennai over the last few days. Now, you can say to me that Chennai always had bad rain, once in five years, always. But the fact is that once in 10-year episode is now becoming a once in five years, once in three year, once in two year episode. We are beginning to see every monsoon is about extreme rain events. Yes. Extreme rain means that you get more floods and then you get prolonged periods of drought. Today, Chennai, people of Chennai are in a state where they cry for water for 12 months. Yes. And then when it rains, they cry. And they cry because they get flooded. And at that time, they want the water to be leaving their houses. And the whole thing is, why can't we get this water to, be, uh, to flow into the sea? But the fact is, it will only make sure that for the remaining 12 months, because it is 12 months, 12 months minus a week, Mm -hmm. they will have a shortage. So climate change is showing up in our lives now, Ambika. It's serious. It's an existential threat because right now temperatures are only one degree higher than they were in the pre-industrial time, which is 1870. That's the global average. Now, as temperatures go up, these extremes, these weather extremes, are bound to increase further.
0: And you are, I mean, I think you explained it really well. We have so many of your questions. I too have many questions, but that's actually true. We cannot take it lightly anymore. I mean, you've been talking about it for so many years. I've I've interviewed you so many times, but I think it's time. As individuals, we start acting. So the first question, Arohi Sharma is asking, uh, what are the next steps to control the climate change and other fallouts of climate change that affects many people?
1: So very good question, Arohi. I think that's exactly what COP today is struggling with. And the problem has been that climate change is today an existential threat because it is caused by what gives us wealth, what gives us well-being what gives us economic growth and that is why for the past 40 years in spite of the fact that the world was aware of this crisis of climate change it is not acted at the scale and pace that is needed yes. and it is not acted because fossil fuels which are required for growth are the ones that are responsible for the emissions. So. The answer to climate change really is to get rid of our addiction to fossil fuel. Now, how do we get rid of our addiction? After all, fossil fuel is coal, mm-hmm. which may not be used today in the rich parts of the world, but they have moved to gas. And gas is also a fossil fuel, natural gas. Mm-hmm. Um, that go- Coal gives you the power, the energy that you use in your homes. Then you have oil. Oil is where transport sector, whether it is transport of cars, whether it is transport of buses, whether it is freight, whether it is railways, diesel run railways, or whether it is uh, aircrafts. So everything that we know today is because of the use of power, electricity, which is from the use of fossil fuels. So the way out of this is a transformation of the energy system. Two big things that we need to do. One, move the energy system out of fossil fuel. Options, renewable energy, hydroelectricity, biomass, even to some extent, if nuclear can become safer, easier nuclear. So you move the energy system out of fossil fuel. Two, you become much more efficient. So... You don't use that much energy. You conserve the energy. You use less and less to get more and more. So that's really what the two big, big, big
0: ideas are. But we are still doing too little too late. So just before I take the next question, like you've given us, there are options. Are we really, uh, I mean, again, doing little, are we really thinking about it? In fact, uh, the prime minister has laid out India's plan at COP26 in terms of climate action. How realistic uh, are the targets? So I
1: think the Indian plan is a good plan. India has actually put forward a plan, which many countries have not, which is a plan, um, in spite of the fact India has not contributed to the problem, We have put out a plan which is quite robust. We have said we will cut a billion tons of of, uh, CO2 emissions, carbon dioxide emissions, by the end of this decade. We have also said that we will uh, have 50% of our power. Electricity will come from renewable sources. Currently, 10% of our electricity comes from renewable sources. So we are upping the game from 10 to 50. But remember, it's not just upping from 10 to 50. It's also a time when electricity consumption in India is going to double between now and 2030. Yes. So you're actually talking about doubling electricity and within that doubling and actually four times increase in our renewable. Now It's a very, in my view, a very ambitious plan, a bold plan, obviously very difficult to implement. It is costly. We also have the challenge of providing affordable energy to very large numbers of people. You and I can still afford the expensive electricity that we get into our homes. But People in India need access to affordable energy. So no question is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. But I think, Ambika, that's why it's important for us to lay out that it's going to be tough in the world. Yes. There is no easy answer. This whole, you know, everyone sort of going to these cops and sort of thinking that some miracle easy answer is going yes. to come out. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. You are dealing with an existential threat. You are, You have wasted 40 years. 30 years ago, you met in Rio, you had an opportunity to act for 30 years. Those 30 years have been wasted in procrastination mm-hmm. and trying to shift the blame on other people. Yeah. Now, the crisis is on your head
0: and you're still looking for soft answers. Not going to happen. I think action needs to be Then It's not easy. I think you put it really well up. The next uh, question, Avika Misha wants to know, we should take actions for climate crisis. This is a serious issue. How much renewable energy do we need to save the environment?
1: So, very good question. I think, again, this is where, in my view, let me talk about India. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world is very difficult. The numbers just don't add up right now. But let's talk about India. Sure. As i said, India is about 100 gigawatts right now of renewable energy is what we have installed. But remember, renewable energy, unlike coal-based power, you only get 20% plant load factor, which means you may install 100 gigawatts, but you get from it only 20 gigawatts of power. So you have to install that much more to get electricity. Uh, Coal gives you about 60% is the PLF. You can even up it a little bit. 60% is the PLF. Renewable energy, it's 20%. Okay. So India has 100 gigawatts of renewable right now, and we meet about 10% of our demand. And our calculation shows that if you want to meet 50% of the enhanced demand in 2030, mm-hmm. you will need to increase that 100 gigawatt to about 700 gigawatts. Mm-hmm. Now, that means that instead of building coal, new coal, mm-hmm. you are investing only in new renewable. Okay, so, so that's the big transformation of the energy system mm-hmm. that is needed right now. It's not easy. It's not cheap. But as I keep underlining, it's not going to be cheap, easy anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. And so what India has laid out is bold. And it needs now to implement it with the same boldness that it put out the plan.
0: Yeah, I think that's the commitment level. A uh, mm-hmm. lot of questions coming in. I don't know how many we be able to take. Uh, Reduji wants to know, lessons learned from the summit. What are the other consequences of the climate crisis? So I think the biggest consequence, uh, Renu, is really
1: about the impact on the poorest in the world. Let's keep their face in front of us. I mean, every time there is a cyclone, uh, people like us, we can still lock up our homes and we are insured and we can get some money. Even if we we have been hit by disaster, we can get some money back from insurance. And we can at least have an ability to be able to cope with climate change. But think of the poor. Think of the people who live on the front lines of this, where they are exposed to rain, they're exposed to hailstorms, they're exposed to extreme weather events, they're exposed to cyclone after cyclone that breaks their back. You know, it's basically talking about the inability then to cope. Then what happens? They migrate. As they migrate, you have larger numbers of people coming into your cities. You have larger numbers of um, unemployed on your hands. It creates insecurity. It creates more and more frustration. So you're basically making the world both poorer and also more insecure. And I think that's the more, that's the thing that should worry us because it's not just about India, it's about the world. world, I mean, look at immigration is such
0: a hot potato in the world. And with climate change, it's going to get worse. So, in fact, uh, Mohammed Asif, there are a lot of questions uh, which are repeated. So, I'll take Mohammed Asif once to India doing enough to tackle I mean, the need to take immediate action? So, see, Mohammed, I think there are two levels. One is
1: definitely we have set out a plan today, and I think we need to act on the plan. And there is no doubt, as I keep saying, it's a bold plan, but plans have to be implemented for them to really be plans. And it's it's going to take something for us to put it together. But, you know, clearly, as I'm an environmentalist, for me, the whole challenge of climate change is not about the global problem, but it's also about how it relates to the local pollution and how we can build a co-benefit approach. So um, you are seeing terrible pictures of pollution in Delhi. Now, the big problem with pollution in Delhi is also the use of coal. Now, the pollutants are different. So the pollution which you and I are seeing in Delhi is particulate matter or NOx or SOx, whereas the pollution which is creating climate change is carbon dioxide. But the source is the same. It's the use of coal. It's the It's the massive numbers of vehicles that we have on our roads. Mm -hmm. So if we can find a way in which we can reduce the use of coal, and in Delhi, for instance, we have banned the use of coal. We have stopped our last coal-based power plant. And there is no doubt that pollution levels in Delhi have gone down, even though right now, I know with winter emergency, there are always tough days. But mm-hmm. overall, when you look at the data for the year, pollution has come down. And that's because some hard measures have been taken. Now, the same thing has to be done for the entire region. We're in, in an air shed, You have to ban the use of coal also in Saibabad, in Faridabad, in Ghaziabad. All those areas, we cannot use coal. It's a dirty fuel, bad for air pollution. And coal burning also adds to climate change. So the more we can find such co-benefits, we can move out of uh, driving individual cars to Metro, to bus, Carpool, yeah. you know, carpooling, you're reducing the uh, kilometers traveled per car, mm. which reduces ca- carbon dioxide emissions. You also improve air, And I think that's the agenda going forward. An agenda, which is good for us, good mm. for India, improves our environment and is good for the world as well.
0: Absolutely. I think it's really well put. I just hope we all start doing this. Like carpooling is something so easy. Heral wants to know how will climate change affect health and nutrition of people? I mean, that's a different question. Yeah. So it's again,
1: see climate change, actually one of the causes of climate change is what you eat. So you have to also think about it from this point of view. Mm. That agriculture actually contributes anywhere between 10 to 15% of the greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. And that's because agriculture in the world has become so chemicalized, so intensive, and you have huge amount of emissions coming out both from cattle as well as from fields. So uh, to improve climate change, actually another core benefit would be to move out of industrial agriculture and move more into local, self-sustaining agriculture. Good for us, because we will eat healthier, we will eat local, we will eat biodiverse food, good for the planet. So, per se, food can improve, but there's also, you're very right, that climate change and increasing weather at temperatures will make crop patterns changing, changing, which will lead to... Some crops more, some crops less. So it's very difficult right now. That's not clear what will happen. What we are seeing right now is extreme weather events. So we are seeing farmers losing their crops because it's too hot, too cold, freak hailstorm. Something which is unseasonal is happening. As far as health is concerned, there is a clear link with dengue. You are seeing dengue going up right now. Viral and more and more uh, vector-borne diseases will go up with climate change. That link is very clear. Which we have been seeing for which years we now. have been seeing now. And that is because climate change will bring this rainfall events, which will be much more, it's not, see, we've got monsoons in June, July, it died. Now you're getting monsoon rain one after the other. This intermittent rain is basically leading to mosquitoes um, uh, the right temperatures, the right conditions for them to keep proliferating, yes. and we are seeing dengue and vector-borne diseases will definitely increase with climate change. So that's everything. Okay. Um,
0: Shalini wants to know how you know how is the meeting of COP twenty-six? How is it shaping the future of India? Because I mean, we do have high expectations with the summit.
1: So I think Shalini. It's going to shape the world. It's not just about India. India is one part of the world. And we have to play a role as India in COP26 to make sure that we can become the voice of the voiceless. We can be, we can make partnerships with people who are similarly affected by climate change as us, the victims of climate change. And we can also be a loud voice asking for um, the rich countries to reduce their emissions. We can also be a loud voice saying we are walking the talk. We want you to walk the talk as well. And we can be a loud voice saying we want our right to development, but we want to develop differently. So I think India can play and is playing, but is, is a very important part of the global community to play that role mm-hmm. and to assert the needs of um, countries like India which need development but they also realize that this is development at a time of enormous climate risk
0: okay. uh, Just a last question we'll take, uh, Barkha wants to know what is the difference between 1.5 degrees centigrade and 2 degree Temperature rise in global warming, what is being discussed at COP26 on this? And we've been reading a lot on this as well. Yeah.
1: No, it's a good question. And I think uh, every one of the questions has been very good. So thank you, Ambika. And thank you, everyone. I think the big issue, the difference between, you know, it's it's impossible to explain. But let me explain it this way. We have seen only one degree, 1.1 degree temperature rise from pre-industrial time. So 1870 to 2020, we have seen on an average global temperatures increasing by one to, I mean, 1.1 degrees centigrade. That's the rise. You're already seeing such dramatic events in your world, okay? Everything from wildfires to droughts to intensification of cyclones, to high cold, high hot season, to dust storms. You are, I mean, it's the revenge of mother nature already. And we are seeing that. I mean, last week we saw floods in Uttarakhand. The week before we saw floods in uh, Kerala. And today we are seeing floods in Chennai. I mean, literally you don't have a chance to exhale before the next event is hitting you. And that's at 1.1 degree centigrade temperature rise. Okay. 1.5 scientists say is a guardrail from what they can see. And this is an arbitrary number, but they say at 1.5, the impact will be as not, not something that we can handle. But they can't say. I mean, nobody can, even this is getting so fast and the way it's getting out of hand. But two degrees is really where they're saying it's going to be just catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Okay. And there is now, there's this whole thing about tipping points where you will see the Arctic um, melt. You will see permafrost. So there's a lot of, science is still figuring out how this is going to move. But the bottom line is that if at 1.1 degree, you're seeing so much, 1.5 is going to be much worse. And two degrees, we're going to be fried. And we cannot wait for those two degrees to say, oh, now we know what it's like. Mm -hmm. That is not something that you want to live in. A two degree temperature
0: rise world. You know, you just... You've just nailed it. I mean, you've said we cannot afford to wait. It's critical. I know I said the last question. I'm going to get greedy and ask you one question because a lot of people would want to know uh, while the government is doing their bit, the summit is, uh, you know, happened. As individuals, what can we do? Could you list out some pointers? I mean, what can we really do to bring about a change? I'm because, I, you know, this is a question I get asked always. And I think I'm, I'm
1: really apologetic that I don't have a good answer because at the end of the day, some of these issues are beyond... I mean, I can't give you 10 steps to save the earth. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't believe there are 10 steps to save the earth. I think we are, we are that we, we, by doing that, you know, I can easily tell you, don't use a plastic bag, switch off the lights, switch off the, don't use too much water. I don't think, please, this is something which we cannot have these 10 steps to save the earth, but as individuals, we can be very powerful. And we can be powerful in making life choices and life choices that we can make today. The biggest choice we can make is to make sure that we know what we are dealing with. We are aware and we can demand that governments make a change. What we can do, we must do. So if we can make sure that we can take a bus, we must take a bus. But, you know, my problem is I can't tell people to take a bus knowing that I'm not the chief minister of Delhi who told people not to. Uh, you know, take their car out. But the fact is, Delhi hasn't bought a single bus in ten years. Yes. There are no buses for people to take. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I get angry when I say this because I get frustrated that you know you can't tell me that don't take yes. a car yeah. when you haven't even organized it so that I can take a bus. Yeah. And ultimately, deep. I can't organize that. That governments in our countries have to organize. So I think it's important for us to be pressure points and to demand because some of these changes have to happen at the scale that we can make lifestyle choices.
0: I think demand and what you said, we need to know what our rights and the political will and commitment is of course key here. Thank you so much, ma'am, for joining us today, uh, you know, telling our viewers what's important, what action they can take. But yes, at the end of the day, it is about political commitment and all of us knowing what our right is and doing our duty. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ambika. Happy to be with you. Thank you. That's it on the Banega Swast India podcast this week. If you have comments, queries or suggestions on the topic we discussed today or issues you would like us to cover in future... Write to us on BSI podcast at the rate ndtv.com. Remember, BSI stands for Swasth Swastindia. You can also connect with us on Swasth India handles on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and continue the conversation through the week. Till next week, this is Ambika Singh Kama signing off. Stay healthy, stay safe.